0: to another episode of the pbl podcast also known as politics and brown liquor and of course i am here with my trusted canine friend woody and woody he's a dog folks so he can't talk but if he could talk he would ask you to go over to the pbl to check out all of our social media links we do a lot on twitter and a lot on tiktok but woody's big ask is please go to our youtube channel the pbl podcast and subscribe 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 that would make woody oh so happy and who doesn't want to make a dog happy dogs are man's best friends they're wonderful all right first off i got a Mia culpa i want to go give you um then some quick takes on the dnc and then a quick topic or conversation on race that's always fun yesterday i said that when i was going over the dnc schedule i was i said that jim Clyburn is they're opening it up with a, a old white guy I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was actually thinking Tom Stoyer. I don't know why I was thinking that's who it was. But Jim Clyburn is not an old white guy. He's an old black guy. And now he's significant. This is why he opened the DNC convention is his endorsement was pivotal to changing the trajectory for Joe Biden to win the nomination. Because Biden was struggling up until that point until Jim Clyburn came out and endorsed him. And then the next thing you know, all the chips fell into place. So Jim Clyburn uh, gave a speech uh, at the convention. And I can tell you, it was, uh, it was a pretty bad speech. I'm not going to get into that part of it, but a pretty bad speech. So let's talk about uh, what went on at the DNC convention. Did you watch it? Did you watch it? Yeah, I know. I Okay. I, did, I watched a little bit of it, but I just couldn't put myself through there. Now, it did start with the National Anthem, which is very interesting. A couple of interesting takes on the DNC starting with the National Anthem. One is nobody took a knee. That was surprising. Two is that uh, if, we, <laughs> if we protest the National Anthem on sporting events, the DNC opens with the National Anthem and the, the Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, I found it was kind of interesting. But what I found most interesting, if you go watch the video, it was like these four white girls and a white guy giving the Pledge of Allegiance. And I'm I'm totally confused because the DNC, throughout the whole DNC convention, if you go watch all the highlights, man, they invoked race, race, and then some more race, and of course, postal service and orange man, bad. So I found it just curious that the individuals that gave the uh, Pledge of Allegiance were like four white girls and a white guy, young kids i don't i don't know what their messaging is there i I mean maybe they're trying to appeal to them i don't know but why not have what they love to call person of color in there or persons of color in there it's just it struck me odd probably means nothing but anyway one of the things about the dnc convention that i was curious about is the energy level gwen moore who's a rep from uh um wisconsin uh that's her district where the convention is held opened it up tried to give some excitement but it was just i mean she was it was just flat i mean you just you got you got no audience so you got no energy coming off because so that was the first thing now this may be the same thing that happens in the republican convention as well so don't 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 discount that this was just a, a dnc thing because the rnc It's going to have to do the same thing. They're going to have to somehow figure out how to build the energy level. So let me go over some quick highlights of the DNC convention last night. Um, Family of George Floyd was there and they said uh, he should be alive to witness this. You know what? They're right. He should be. But that's on him. I'm sorry, it just is. If he did not aris- resist arrest. and But of course, that's not the message. The message is police brutality, police brutality. The whole DNC day, the whole day was just BLM all over the place. So they, the DNC, and if you watch the video of the closing number um, with uh, Stephen Stills, and I forget the other guys, the guy who sang the song, that classic 60s song, uh, he, Billy Porter is the guy's name. Uh, it, it it just, man, it's just like, one, it's cringeworthy. It's very cringeworthy, but it was all BLM, all BLM. So the DNC has, of course, embraced Black Lives Matters. Not a surprise, but if you dig into what Black Lives Matter is, then you start seeing what the DNC really is about because Black Lives Matter is a Marxist movement. I'm sorry. It just is. The founders are Marxists. They're admitted Marxists. They are causing a lot of this damage and this this, um, riots and protesting all in the name of allegedly George Floyd. I say allegedly because I just don't believe it. Uh, I think this is just an opportunity that they saw to move this movement forward and to cash in because the The organizers of the BLM are making a ton of money. They just are. So then, you know, I'm I'm not going to go through too much of this, but then at 932, Joe Biden, they did a panel discussion and they had Mayor Lightfoot from Chicago there. And it was a real quick discussion, by the way. And Biden was there. So you saw Biden right off. So he's reading from a script. But they never asked about the violence. The, in fact, the violence, the, sh- the, the, the gun violence in our cities across America, you know, there's not much that I've seen there that they're talking about. Now, Michelle Obama mentioned something in her speech, which I'm going to get into, that got close to it. But not in that context. And then, of course, Jim Clyburn gives his speech, and it was kind of a choppy speech. And Andrew Cuomo, you know, he's allegedly the Democrat star right now. So, you know, they don't want to mess up a good thing. So, Cuomo gives a speech just like he was giving his press briefings for the COVID-19. He's sitting at the table. He's got the monitors on the side. So they want to continue that image because it worked well for Cuomo. But here's something that he said. One is obviously blaming it on Trump. We, We just get past that. Everything's orange man bad. That's what the conventions are going to do. Blame it on Trump. Blame it on Trump. Blame it on Trump. You know, Cuomo had the most deaths of any state in the union and they're blaming it on Trump. So what did Cuomo do? Well, blames everything on Trump, but this is something that he said that kind of should stand out to everybody. He said, our collective strength is exercised through government. It is, in effect, our immune system, and our current federal government is dysfunctional and incompetent. It couldn't fight off the virus. In fact, it didn't even see it coming. Here it is, Wait for it. The European virus infected the Northeast while the White House was still fixated on China, Cuomo said during his speech. An apparent counterpoint to Trump's labeling of COVID-19 as the China virus. Wait a minute. He just labeled it the European virus. This wasn't a European virus. We all know that. Even they know that this all came out of China. I mean, to, to try to rewrite the narrative so blatantly like this. Calling it a European virus. Now, Como went on to make the analogy that, you know, viruses affect the system. And if your system is weak, the virus wreaks havoc. And he's right. But where he is wrong is our immune system needs sometimes to be attacked to strengthen it. That's how immune systems work. And by all of this sheltering in place and wearing the mask, we have not gotten to. Herd immunity. We have not gotten to where this vi- this virus is going to continue to wreak havoc on us because we have not allowed it to strengthen our immune system. So he was all wrong in his analogy. He was upside down in his analogy. And then then to call it the European virus. I mean, it's just really and where's you know hopefully now Fox News picked up on it, but where are the rest? And then they did a, um, this one, just, this one, just, they shouldn't have done this. This, the next thing they did, this young girl, um, Kristen, and I'm, I'm going to butcher her name. You're uh, U-R-Q-U-I-Z-O. Her father, uh, passed away from the coronavirus. And so they, uh, just It's ghoulish. It's ghoulish what they did. So the headline here is her father voted for Trump and paid with his life. A daughter's searing DNC speech. So the man died from COVID-19. Well, at least that's what we're told, right? I'm not going to dispute that. This, this girl's father died. My heart breaks for it. But she said, my dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump. And for that, he paid with his life. That's just, God, that's ghoulish to put this daughter of the, the father who passed away to, I mean, that's just manifestating hate. I mean, that's just wrong on so many levels, but here's the DNC puts her right out there to basically let her manifestate her hate in Donald Trump blaming and claiming that he killed her father because her father trusted him. I mean, I just don't get people. I mean, you know, the virus is bad. I, I'm not going to discount that. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to deny that the virus is here. There's no, there's no hoax to it all. It's absolutely here. But common sense will tell you a lot of things is one, if you did see the the girl's father, he, he I mean, to say his only pre-existing condition was trusting Trump is just, totally ridiculous. Uh, so he was in his 60s, he was overweight and and you know what with all the lies that have come out with the pandemic, I mean it's hard to believe that that's really what happened that there's something that's not else there. But to blame Trump and to do this, to, to grieving daughter on national TV at a Democrat national convention, it's just ghoulish. So Ah, I just sometimes, you know. Uh, And then Gretchen Whitmer, uh, you know, Nurse Ratchet up the governor from Detroit, not Detroit, Michigan. Uh, By the way, I used to live in Michigan. It's a lovely state. It's got its issues, but there's some lovely things. But she was caught on a hot mic. (laughs) So Governor Whitmer jokes before going live it's not just Shark Week, it's Shark Week MFR. And she she goes on to say, I I know what a hot mic is because she mouthed the word F M F R. She didn't um, she didn't say it out loud because she knows what a hot mic is. But you gotta go look at the video. She looks creepy. I mean, she just looks creepy. The way she looks in the camera. I mean, she's just creepy. I don't I wouldn't be putting a lot of faith in putting her out there. I mean, just creepy. Uh, so i'll put the video in the show notes but you can find it on twitter too it's all over the place but because you know just google in it she governor gretchen whitmer caught on hot mic hot mic about shark week shark week and you'll see her mouthing -er, mfr while they get ready and people then i guess the sound guys and all that start laughing but she look at her look on her face she just looks creepy and then you got christine todd whitman meg whitman you know they say they're Republicans, and we know that, our rhino, Republican names only, given this is now the, the, the time for party unity and for partisanship, I should say, where you got Christine Todd Whitman and Meg Whitman, and then ah, former Governor John Casey all get up there and talk about how they need unity, and then I'm voting for Biden. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And then uh, Amy Klobuchar, it's interesting on their schedule, Amy Klobuchar gets two spots yeah they're but they're back to back at 10:21 senator amy Klobuchar speaks then at 10:25 former democratic presidential candidate amy Klobuchar speaks and she tries to to do a joke and it just falls so flat uh, and, and and you know they're basically saying that trump hates the post office it's a big hoax it's just a big hoax that and she starts off by saying that he hates the post office but he's going to have to turn in a new um, mailing address form just flat joke just horrible and then sanders oh yeah you know you got to have sanders now what sanders needed to do is he needed to rally the bernie bros because they are scared the dnc they are scared the bernie bros are going to sit it out like they did last time so here's what bernie went on to say he pretty much is begging begging them to uh, make sure that they vote for Biden. He goes, let me take this opportunity to say a word to the millions who supported my campaign this year. And in 2016, my friends, thank you for your trust, your support, and the love you showed Jane, me and our family together. We have moved this country in a bold new direction, showing that all of us black and white Latino, Native American, Asian American, gay and straight native born and immigrant yearn for a nation based on the principles of justice, love and compassion. Our campaign ended several months ago, but our movement continues and is getting stronger every day. Many of the ideas fought for that just a few years ago were considered radical are now mainstream. What? What? No, no. They're still considered radical. They're still considered radical. But he goes on. But let us be clear. If Donald Trump is reelected, all the progress we have made will be in jeopardy. And then he just goes on to beg them. Delay the next, and of course, the postal service nonsense. Here's the next paragraph at its most or from his speech at its most basic. This election is about preserving our democracy. We are not a democracy, we are a constitutional republic. During this president's term, the unthinkable has become normal. He has tried to prevent people from voting, he has. That's news to me. I'd love to see the evidence of that. Undermine the U.S. Postal Service. He has. What has he done to the U.S. Postal Service? He's not undermined it. Deployed the military and federal agents against peaceful protesters. They were peaceful. Hey, I saw a story the other day that once they went away, and I may have mentioned it on a previous podcast, once the federal agents left Portland, guess what? The violence continued. This was not peaceful sorry i digress he goes on threatened to delay the election he didn't threaten to delay the election and suggested that he will not leave office if he loses he did not say any of that <sighs> so so they've got to instill fear they've got to uh, propagate the lies they've got to you know try to form a narrative that orange man bad fear 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 that's all the democrats have now they have a, a not you know they have an economic story they can tell, but they don't know what to do. All they can say is Joe Biden will fix it, but they can't give specifics of what Joe Biden's going to do to fix it. We've already seen Trump fix the economy once, and we're already seeing positive results. We're already seeing a tick up from the economy, even in this Scamdemic, as I like to call it, right now because I'm I'm tired of trying to be nice about it. it. I believe it is a scamdemic. I think this is all about suppressing the vote for Donald Trump. I think this is kept going because of the election. And I mentioned this before, I was talking to a friend. That I believe this will all go away after the election. Why? Because you think Trump, you want Trump to win. I go, no, it doesn't matter who's going to win. I believe after the election this all goes away but they they need this narrative they've got to scare people into voting for democrats cuz they don't have anything else so the post office is just the latest it'll fizzle out it's just not going to have much traction so but but you know everything else with bernie is the same old stuff that he's been saying for decades but in this speech he needed to speak to his base to get them to vote So for Biden. So here's what he says about Biden. But the truth is that even before Trump's negligent response to this pandemic, too many hardworking families have been caught on an economic treadmill with no hope of ever getting ahead, which is a lie. Prior to the pandemic, the economy was doing phenomenal. Uh, The, uh, you know, jobs growth was phenomenal. We were at our lowest level of unemployment across the board, historic levels of unemployment for the black community. But no, no, no. According to Biden and according to Sanders, you know, people were struggling regardless. Now, you see, now they got the backdrop of what happened with the pandemic. They could say this and they can get away with it. So he goes on, together we must build a nation that is more equitable, more compassionate and more inclusive, I guess, according to his standards. I know that Joe Biden will, begin that fight on day one. Let me offer you just a few examples of how Joe will move us forward. I know I went into a Bernie voice. That probably wasn't that good. Joe supports raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. That will give 40 million workers a pay raise and push the wage scale up for everyone. All right. This is him again, going to that base, right? That Bernie bro base, $15 an hour wage will kill businesses. There's been study after study after study and cities that went to $15 an hour wage. Guess what they did? They cut back their workforce. They laid people off because they simply could not afford a $15 an hour work wage. And, and Bernie knows this too. This is all red meat to his base. And if you give everybody a $15 an hour pay raise, or a, a wage, that means the cost of goods are gonna have to go up to offset that. That's just how business works. But Bernie wasn't done. Joe will also make it easier for workers to join unions. Of course they will. That's what the Democrats love. They need the unions. Create 12 weeks of paid family leave, fund universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds, and make child care affordable for millions of families. Ugh. I'm not gonna go on it. He's he, you know, this is the same Bernie Claptrap that he's been selling and peddling to the Bernie Bros for. Ever. That's all this is. So Bernie needed to speak to his base in order for his base to get riled up to vote for Biden because they are worried. They are all worried that the Bernie bros are going to sit this out. The Democrats need the Bernie bros more than they have ever needed before because they lost last time because the Bernie bros sat it out so and then there's michelle michelle obama did her gave her speech and oh my gosh some of the stuff in her speech you know first off it starts with good evening everyone it's a hard time it's a hard time that's how she starts it everyone it's a hard time see the democrats need this they need to paint a bleak picture this is typical in politics but they need to paint a bleak picture and and she goes on, and it pains me to see so many people hurting. Now I'm given empathy, empathy, empathy. She says, "I've seen this country's promise, and thanks to so many who came before me, thanks to their toil and sweat and blood, I've been able to live that promise myself." Really? So other people have done it for. Her. Now I don't want to slam Michelle Obama and her. You know, she did. She went to college, she got a, a law degree, uh, and, and she married a guy who became president of the United States. So Michelle's. She's paid. You know, a lot of people will sit here and say that she's going to run or she was going to run. I never believed that because I thought Honestly, she was too lazy. She even says in her speech that she hates politics. But a couple other things that she said, just highlight. There's a a lot of beauty in that story. She's talking about the American story. and There's a lot of pain in it. Okay, there it is. Pain, pain. Two, a lot of struggle and injustice and work left to do. And who we choose as our president in this election will determine whether or not we honor that struggle and chip away at that injustice and keep alive the very possibility of finishing that work. All right. Got to get the emotions out there. And by the way, we all know she didn't write the the um, this speech. This speech was written for her. this. This is you know this is s- such a um, platitudes Democrat talking point speech. Uh, she goes on to talk about Joe Biden, and she leads the whole thing's about Biden. Obviously, this is his convention, uh, but she said something about the presidency. It's she quote it requires clear headed judgment and how can anyone support Joe Biden if it requires clear-headed judgment? How can anyone support Joe Biden if that is the criteria? Just makes no sense whatsoever. But yeah, there's more. And this is a quote again from her speech. As I've said before, being president doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. Hmm. Interesting. Well, a presidential election can reveal who we are too. And four years ago, too many people chose to believe that their voices didn't matter. who she speaking to? Is she speaking to those disenfranchised Democrats because they didn't want to vote for Hillary? Maybe they were fed up, she goes on. Maybe they thought the outcome wouldn't be close. Maybe the barriers felt too steep. Whatever the reason, in the end, those choices sent someone to the Oval Office who lost the national popular vote by nearly 3 million votes. Mm. So is this a dig on Hillary, that Hillary wasn't able to get the emotional support or get the excitement. There are some polls out there right now that people are not excited about Biden. There's more excitement about Trump electing or voting for Trump. There are a lot of people that are looking to vote for Biden as a vote against Trump. So he doesn't have the, um, the What is that word I'm looking for? He doesn't have the passion. People aren't passionate about voting for Biden versus Trump. But she goes on. She goes, and here at home, as George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and a never-ending list of innocent people of color continue to be murdered, stating the simple fact that a black life matters is still met with derision from the nation's highest office. What the heck is, that? is she even talking about? Where has this ever been said? You know, if you say there's there was a lady who was killed, shot and killed when she said to a protester, all lives matter. I mean, you want to talk about people being hurt for expressing their beliefs when a lady is killed in front of her child because she says all lives matter? That's derision right there. So, I mean, George Floyd, I'm sorry, he he was not an innocent man. I mean, the guy was hopped up on so many drugs, he resisted arrest. You know, the Breonna Taylor story is a sad story, but it doesn't mean. We have what the Democrats want to believe is systemic racism throughout the country. We just simply don't. Oh, but she's got more. Jump into the speech. They're looking around wondering if we've been lying to them this whole time about who we are and what we truly value. She's talking about her kids and kids in this country, by the way. Uh, they see people shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. They see people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color color. Of their skin. In those incidences, by the way, where you had like white women that were calling the police because some black people were doing whatever, the one that comes to mind is the gentleman was out there bird watching. The white woman that called the police turns out she was a Democrat, she was a leftist. I don't see that in the speech, but no, we're made to believe that white people are calling the police on black people. Just because they're black, the color of their skin. You know, the people shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. You know, who's the one doing the shouting? You know, there are stories on both sides on this one. But again, it's all to gin up emotion. Shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. I'm telling you, not wearing the mask right now is the new scarlet letter. All right, they see our leaders labeling fellow fellow citizens enemies of the state, while emboldening torch-bearing white supremacists. She actually said this in her speech. So we're going back to Charlottesville, and, and the, the guys with the tiki torches—they weren't—they weren't. I mean, they're now they're trying to tie that again to Trump. They're trying to see racism, postal service, coronavirus, orange man bad. Right? They watch in horror as children are torn from their families and thrown in cages. I cannot believe she actually put that in her speech. And they allowed that to be in her speech because the Obama administration did that. If, if you go back and look, the, those cages, the, all those photos that we saw, children in cages, were during the Obama administration. And then, and pepper spray and rubber bullets are used on peaceful protesters for a photo op. Again, trying to blame Trump for a fo- saying it's a photo op when he went in front of that church. Orange man bad. This is their narrative. This is all they have. They've got to gin up fear. And what better way to use that, gin up fear, than use race. That's what they're doing. A lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low, does going high still really work? My answer, going high is the only thing that works because when we go low, when we use those same tactics of degrading and dehumanizing others, we just become part of the ugly noise that's drowning out everything else. And of course, we're all racist. She tells we're um, we're constantly told we're racist. We're constantly told that we're bad if we don't wear a mask. And then she goes on to say this about President Trump. He is clearly in over his head. You know, this pandemic is like once in a lifetime kind of thing, right? So uh, what, what Joe Biden was calling Trump xenophobic for shutting off travel from China. The World Health Organization called this a pandemic on March 11th. The United States followed suit on March 13th. Yeah, he's going over his head, right? And then she goes, he cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. There's the the soundbite right there. That was from when Trump said about what's going on with the coronavirus. It is what it is. She's trying to take that. And now that's the soundbite that you're going to hear a lot of, a lot of. And and this, this comment makes no sense. And I'm a black woman speaking at the democratic convention. Well, yeah, it's the democratic convention. That's not a surprise. So if she, she goes on. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this, if you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can (laughs) like Joe Biden. And they will, if we don't make a change in this election, if we have any hope of ending this chaos We have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depended on it. depend on it. Ah, Now, this is an interesting take that she says about Joe Biden and his ability to learn and grow. She put that in there. See, this is what when anything bad comes up from the past, this is what they're going to use, that he's grown, that he has grown. And this is my favorite part. Joe Biden wants all of our kids, no matter what they look like to be able to walk out the door without worrying about being harassed or arrested or killed. He wants all of our kids to be able to go to a movie or a math class without being afraid of getting shot. He wants all of our kids to grow up with leaders who won't just serve themselves and their wealthy peers, but will provide a safety net for people facing hard times. You know, tell that to Mayor Lightfoot Chicago when children walk out of their house all the time are shot. The black on black crime in this country is in epic epic proportions right now. And in her speech, she also says that Joe Biden uh, he cares so much about kids that he's given out his personal phone number. Creepy. Creepy. All right. When we come back, I want to go over uh, this article and this candidate running, an article about race, and this candidate running in Baltimore who is amazing. But as you can see, it's race, postal service, orange man bad. This is what they're going to hammer. They're going to hammer them on the postal service thing, but that'll fall apart. It just won't last. It's going to die off because there's not enough meat to it. All right. I'll be back right after this. Even though this is a presidential election, there are many more candidates on the ballot besides the president. So go to ballot ready for a nonpartisan guide to your entire ballot. From there, you can compare candidates based on the stances on issues, biography, or endorsements, and then save your choice to use when you vote by mail or in the voting booth. You can even request your absentee ballot or make a plan to vote early or on election day. This election matters. So make sure you are ready and you vote and you vote in form. So visit go to ballot.org, enter your address. Make sure that you vote and vote informed. And welcome to the second segment of the PBL podcast, politics and brown liquor. Once again, a huge ask from Woody. And you know, Woody's a dog, folks. He can't talk, but if he could, he would tell you to go over to our website, pblpodcast.com, click on our YouTube link and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. All right, let I want to finish up with this, uh, Michelle. Obama speech. I mean, to me, this speech is, it's telling in that you want to know what the Democrats have planned? Well, this is it. This is what her speech is the blueprint for what the Democrats will be doing this election cycle. Another point that she, another thing she said that I thought was extremely telling is we've got to request our mail-in ballots right now tonight and send them back immediately and follow up to make sure they're received and then make sure our friends and families do the same. Now push aside the rhetoric regarding the post office right now, how they're trying to vilify Trump for the post. They're using the word sabotage right now. They're saying Trump is sabotaging the post office for the mail-in ballots, but her request for, to do the mail-in ballots right now tonight and send them back immediately. There's a sense of urgency there for a reason. They know now that the conventions have started and once the conventions are over, then you really full throttle get into the election and the debates. So the sooner they can get people to mail in a ballot for Joe Biden right now, they can lock in people's votes and they can't be changed. So if you voted, if you vote for absentee or mail-in right now for Joe Biden, and then you see the debates, and you see, oh my gosh, what a train wreck this guy is, you, there's no turning back. So the Democrats, you're going to hear this a lot, by the way. You're going to hear this a lot. The Democrats have a sense of urgency to get people to vote right now, to send in mail-in ballots, to send in absentee ballots, to vote early because they fear the debates. They fear Biden's performance is going to completely turn people away. So you've got that. And then you've got another uh, bullet from her speech. And when the horrors of systemic racism shook our country and our conscience, millions of Americans of every age, every background rose up to march for each other, crying out for justice and progress. Again, it's race. Right now, they're going to paint Trump as a racist. And they're going to continue to hammer away at this because they need the black vote. They need the black vote now more than they ever have needed before because there are pollings out there where Trump has been going up in the black community for support. There's one uh, Rasmussen polling that has him at 32% support from the black community. Now, I'm not buying that he has 32% of the black community. But if he gets 15%, I believe he got eight, seven, eight percent last time. If he gets 15 percent, it's over for the Democrats. So they're in a panic. And her speech speaks to that panic, in my opinion. So you're going to see a lot more of this. This systemic racism is this hook's going to be in there deep. They're going to be talking about systemic racism throughout the whole campaign. They're going to be trying to paint Trump as a racist. But if you look at what Trump has done as president, president, you just can't paint the man as a racist. He's given uh, gobs of money to historically black colleges and universities. Would a white racist do that? Uh, he, he's done prison reform that helps proportionally blacks and other people of color, as the Democrats like to say. Would a white racist do that? Before he was president, he openly dated a black woman. Would a white racist do that? And before he was president and soon after, even after, he he has a lot of black friends and celebrities that he hangs out with all the time. Would a white racist do that? Dr. Ben Carson, he puts him in the cabinet. Would a white racist do that? No, no. Now, is Trump a bigot? Absolutely Trump's a bigot. We're all bigots. I'm a bigot. You're a bigot. In some form or shape, we're all bigots. Because racism is an inherent belief that you believe one race is genetically superior than the other. The Democrats on the left, I repeat myself, have completely whitewashed that word and changed that word racism, but I'm not, I'm not buying it. Racism is the inherent belief that one race is genetically superior over another. Now, if you don't like a certain culture, well, guess what? You're a bigot. Okay, great. There's cultures I don't like. I'm not crazy about certain cultures. I don't like the thug culture in the black community. Therefore, I'm a bigot. I proudly, proudly wear my bigotry on my sleeve in some cases, in these cases. So, but I will not, I will not get sucked in to this, I'm a racist nonsense because um, maybe I don't like a certain culture or, I, I, you know, it's just absolute nonsense. So, is Trump a racist? No. The answer is no. Trump is not a racist. Is Trump a bigot? The answer is yes, he's a bigot. Uh, but he has done so much for the black community as president that it's just mind boggling that they're painting this narrative. But why are they painting the narrative? Again, orange man bad, God and still fear. And they are absolutely deathly afraid of Trump getting that magic number in the black community to where it puts him over the top and it will absolutely decimate the Democrat party. So this is the Democrat party giving a lot of attention to the black community because in years past, the black community said we've always been taken for granted. So now they've glommed onto this black lives matters movement in order to get votes. Now, I'm going to share with you an article. This is out of Time Magazine. The author is uh, Savala, oh, I'm going to mess up this last name, uh, Trepenski, T-R-E-P-C-Z-Y-N-S-K-I. She is the executive director of the Center for Social Justice at UC Berkeley School of Law. Mm, So you know where that's going to go. So her book about race, gender, and the body will be published by Shaman and Schuster. But here is an excerpt. Here is where we can get in the mindset of this person. Here's the title or the headline of the piece. People of color learn at a young age that they must be twice as good. Now white people need to be twice as kind. This is an amazing article. The the amount of just uh, falsehoods and just assumptions in this thing. It's just amazing. The, the, the opening paragraph, let, let, me, let me read this to you. I just finished a long evening walk in my neighborhood and was relaxed for the first time in days when I saw the white woman washing her Lexus. She probably didn't know she was about to throw her whiteness at me like a rock, nor do I think she meant to. I paused to wave as she sprayed water across her soapy SUV. I didn't want to startle her with my large black presence. She made eye contact but didn't wave back. We were both on the sidewalk. I motioned to ask whether she'd take a few steps back into her driveway so I could pass while preserving social distance. Oh, my gosh. My alternative was to step into the traffic on a curved street. She rolled her eyes, sighed, and walked wearily into her driveway, making a little room. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it absolutely happened like this. Are we going to say this is a Karen? This is a Karen. So the woman's washing her car. This lady walks through and wants the sidewalk to herself. You know. Now, I don't believe her. I, I just don't believe her. I don't believe that um, this actually happened the way it happened. I believe maybe there was a white woman washing her car. But I believe Mrs. Mrs. Social Justice Warrior here found an, uh, um, an opportunity to feed the narrative. This is what she goes on to say about the lady. Maybe she was just frustrated, as we all are, by how COVID-19 has shifted the formerly straightforward rituals of our lives, like taking walks or washing cars. Maybe she was tired. Maybe she'd had a bad Zoom meeting. There are a million reasons why she might have been rude. The reasons don't matter, though. Look at that. You hear that? The reasons don't matter, though. The impact does. And what I experienced was a white person being ticked off by my black presence in front of her house. How could you possibly make that assumption it was because she was black? You know why she makes that assumption because she was black? It's because she wears that racial chip on her shoulder and anything that is a front to her is because that person must not like her because she's black. It goes on. And exercising a privilege to make her annoyance known. How else, could I experience it? Question mark. We relentlessly teach people of color that their non-whiteness is the most salient, determinative thing about them. And indeed, lived experience frequently confirms this. Of course, we view what we experience through the lens of race. Uh-huh. That's the problem. That right there is everything is a pr- through the prism of race. She wears a racial chip on her shoulder. So, but, but there's more. The woman's snide disgruntled manner ruined my night in a very particular way. It made my blackness feel like a problem and left me to absorb and metabolize metabolize, her white irritation. I desperately needed the peace my walk gave me. Oh my goodness. So her assumptions, this is all in her head, her own head trash, that this woman who's washing her car, she's in the zone, let's put it that way, she's washing her car and the lady walks up to her and says, I want the sidewalk, make some kind of motion. And, and, the, and she assumes or accuses, alleges the lady rolled her eyes, but moved. From there, it's because she's black. It's because she's black. This is the problem right now. With not all, but some in the black community who wear this racial chip so high on their shoulder that everything is an affront to them because of their race. Could it be that this woman it just probably had an attitude I mean, could it be that this woman was rude herself? But remember, the lady washing the car didn't say anything. She she didn't say a word. So still, I wish I could speak to this neighbor because people of color have a golden rule that would be useful for white people. Wait for it. Our rule says, be twice as good, starting when we're children. People of color learn in overt and subtle ways that we must often be twice as good and work twice as hard to get half as far as our white counterparts. This adage is a way of recognizing how systemat- systemic racism impacts our lives and it encourages us to keep pushing against it. All right, how does this answer a black on black crime in like Chicago or New York? Where, where is this uh, twice as good rule? And um, by the way, I grew up in the black community. Um, uh, You know, I'm not black. I am white. So maybe that's why I wasn't taught this rule, but I was taught to be nice. I was taught to be good. But what is twice as good? What is, I mean, it's just maddening that people have a voice and she's she's a a professor at the University of Berkeley, which is not a surprise. So here's her ask. I'm calling for white folks to adopt a version of this rule for themselves and their anti-racist work. Be twice as kind. This is a way to recognize how systemic racism works in your lives. Be twice as kind, thoughtful, and peaceful to the black and brown people you encounter these days. Because you may harbor unconscious bias that gets in the way of being kind, particularly with black and brown people you don't know very well. We see this bias in everyone from doctors to employers, from teachers to strangers on the streets, and even in children. And because right now, we are the walking wounded. Wow. Talk about victimhood, right? So white people have to be twice as kind because apparently we're not kind. Uh, if you go on TikTok, there's a young lady, I don't remember her handle, black lady, and she constantly put these TikTok videos out of why I like white people. And one of the things that she'll say is because white people are nicer. So she'll explain what she experiences in the black community and what she experiences in the white community. And she goes on these videos, these TikTok videos of why I like white people. It's funny is all get out. And she delivers it in such a deadpan way that it's absolutely hilarious. So this rule, when she goes on, this rule would mark a shift, a shift and shifts are hard. White people aren't raised to think constantly of how black and brown people feel. Why black and brown people are accustomed to considering white people's feelings at every turn. Really? uh okay we make our bodies smaller and elevators so white people won't be intimidated we make our hands visible so white people won't be scared we ignore racist comments because we are trained to protect white feelings and because as a culture we sometimes act like it's worse to be called racist than to experience racism and on and on strange though it may be for white people to begin adding extra kindness to their interactions with black people and brown people. It's time for this shoe to be worn on the other foot. I will not treat you differently because of the color of your skin. I will treat you like I treat everybody with dignity and respect. And and if you do as kind, I will continue to treat you that way. This has nothing to do with race. This has to do with somebody who plays a victim and wears that racial chip on their shoulder. Now, the part that killed me in her article here, this next part, just... I mean, I live in the South, and a lot of you listen to the show are in the South. Well, I'm in the metropolitan Atlanta area. I'm not from the South originally. Uh, I lived in the Northeast, I lived on the West Coast, I've lived, I've lived uh, um, down in Florida, I've lived all over the United States, I've lived in the Midwest, I've lived everywhere. And what she says about the South and Southerners is, is, is actually abhorrent. Here's what she says, a warning though, the white kindness I'm calling for is not shallow or performative. It can't be like what I've witnessed on trips to the deep South, for example, where raging racial inequity is peppered over with politeness, providing a veneer of gentility to a social still bombed out by racism, past and ongoing, bombed out by racism, past and ongoing. Unbelievable. No, the kindness I'm talking about is an outgrowth of the deep anti-racist work so many white people are undertaking. Lady, I gotta, I'm going to break something to you. People in the South are just nicer. It just, that's the way it is in the South. The Southern, there's a Southern hospitality here that is not fake. It is embedded in the culture in the South. Uh, Not all of the South, like Florida, you go down to Florida, it's a different culture than it is, say, in Georgia and Alabama. In fact, when I lived in Florida, I lived in Florida for a couple of years, I I couldn't wait to get back to Georgia because people are just nicer. So, She's basically trying to say that the people in the South are just, they're faking it. And they're just racist at the core, even more so because they're faking being nice. So if you be nice, you're just more racist because you're just faking it. So you can't, you can't win with this woman. So why would you even try? So along with learning about things like white apathy and white fr- uh, fertility, redlining and convict leasing whatever the hell that is and the over-policing uh-huh and under-resourcing of black neighborhoods white people's work should include a heightened standard of kindness toward the black and brown people they run into in life consider it an intentional counterweight to the unconscious racism that is almost certainly present in your mind and heart see that you don't even know you're racist but you're a racist if you're white. Consider it a version of brotherly love and good citizenship. Consider it a form of reparations, which should be personal in, additional, in addition to structural. Our last paragraph. <clears throat> if this provides impossible, if white people decide they cannot or will not bring an extra layer of kindness to interactions with black and brown people, then I worry for the future of the budding multiracial movement towards racial equality. If it proves too hard to remember, too uncomfortable to practice, or too strange to get used to, then we have deeper problems than we realize. But I'm hopeful most people want to be kind. Practice makes progress. You know what? She outright admits that if you are going to be kind, you're still racist. She basically accuses the Southern people of just having this veneer of politeness when really you're just, you know, a bombed out racism down underneath. Bombed out racism. She actually used that phrase. This is the problem. This is the problem. You can't win. You cannot win. So I ask, and I opine, why try? I say, treat people as you like to be treated and move on. I do not like this phrase, I'm colorblind. I hate that. I am not colorblind. If I see a person and they're black I see a black person. If I see this person in brown, and every time when they allude to brown, I guess it's Latinos. I see Latino. Why would I not see that? That's who they are. That's part of their identity. And it just infuriates me that the Democrats, and it is the left, use this, use this as a tool to, to propagate their narrative and to make white people feel guilty. You go look at a lot of these Black Lives Matters movements, these protests, they're white kids. There are a lot of tons of white kids that is fueled by their white guilt. It's, I mean, I live in a pretty nice area and you'll see it here. And it's just, uh, I I tell you, I'm, uh, personally, my rule of thumb is the age old rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. When I see you, I see you the color of your skin. I do. I am not colorblind. I see color and I want to see color. I think it's beautiful. I think all colors are beautiful and I think people and all walks of life can and are ugly. Ugly on the inside. This woman is ugly on the inside. Now if you saw a picture of her um clearly Obviously she looks mixed. No, she may not be genetics has a funny thing about jumping over, but obviously she looks mixed. So I guess one part of her hates the other part of her or one part of her believes the other part of her not being nice to her. But when they are being nice to her, they think that part of it's just still just doing it as a veneer. They're really racist. So she must have a lot of internal conflict, but these kind of people, this writer puts this crap out just to get attention. This is this social justice warrior nonsense, it's all just a veneer of its own. It's a front. They know they're being ridiculous. But what they're doing is they're playing to the masses. They're trying to get people some motion riled up so they can get people to vote on their side of the aisle. And it's profitable. For her, it's maybe how she keeps her job. I don't know. But it's profitable for a lot of people. Look at Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton is a con man. He's made a fortune uh, on white guilt. He's made a fortune. He basically is um, uh, shakes people down. This is what Jesse Jackson did. Jesse Jackson and his Rainbow Coalition would go to companies and say, hey, donate to our cause and maybe we won't protest against you. My opinion. Let me preface it. But anyway, there are a lot, there's a huge movement in America for the black community to leave this kind of mindset. You see it in Candace Owens' Blexit. You see a lot of it there. You see it, uh, David Harris Jr., also part of Blexit, who um, is doing just wonderful things to get the message out. And you see it in the polling for President Trump in the black community right now. And you see candidates, Republican candidates, black Republican candidates, starting to stand up. There's one here in Atlanta, Angela Stanton King, who was running against uh, uh, deceased John Lewis's seat, and she was one who benefited from Trump's prison reforms. She She was given a full pardon by Trump based on a prison reform and based on her story being brought to President Trump. Of course, he's racist for that, I'm sure this writer would say. And then there's this lady in Baltimore. Now, Baltimore is a very dangerous city if you've not been to Baltimore, it's a beautiful downtown area. I love Baltimore. Don't get me wrong. You know. But I love Chicago, dangerous city. You know, I love San Francisco, nasty city now. I love New York, except where they put the trash. I hate how they do the trash in New York. But these are all Democrat-led cities that are in turmoil. And Baltimore, uh, I mean, it's like at one point, it was a myrtle capital of the, of the United States. But this uh, candidate, I'm gonna play her ad for you. This is a powerful ad. You know, sadly, I I just, I think the Democrats are so embedded in these cities that it's gonna take a lot of tries of candidates like this candidate to, to make change, but it's not gonna come right away. I wish it would. I, people need to vote for this candidate. Listen to, listen to her ad.
1: Do you care about black lives? The people that run Baltimore don't. I can prove it. Walk with me. They don't want you to see this. I'm Kim Klasik. This is Baltimore, the real Baltimore. This is the reality for black people every single day. Crumbling infrastructure, abandoned homes, poverty, and crime. Baltimore has been run by the Democrat party for 53 years. What is the result of their decades of leadership? Baltimore is one of the top five most dangerous cities in America. The murder rate in Baltimore is 10 times the US average. The Baltimore poverty rate is over 20%. Homicide, drug, and alcohol deaths are skyrocketing in our city. Do you believe Black Lives Matter? I do. The vast majority of crime in Baltimore is perpetrated against black people who make up 60% of the population. So why don't we care about our communities? The Democrat Party have betrayed the black people of Baltimore. If the politicians walked the streets like I do, they would see exactly how their policies and corruption affects us. But they don't want to see it. They don't want you to see this. Go to any Baltimore neighborhood and ask this question. Do you want to defund the police? No. No. Absolutely not. I had three sons killed in Baltimore City, and I think if we defund the police office, it's going to be worse than that. So no, I'm opposed to that. What are you going to defund the police for? Why? How do you defend your city, your community? Families are losing people. It's not just Baltimore. The worst place for a black person to live in America is a Democrat-controlled city. It's 2020 name a blue city where black people's lives have gotten better try i'll wait look at this how are children supposed to live here and play here democrats think black people are stupid they think they can control us forever that we won't demand better and that we'll keep voting for them forever despite what they've done to our families and our communities are they right I'm Kim Klasek, and I'm running for Congress because I actually care about black lives. All black lives matter. Our communities matter. Baltimore matters. And black people don't have to vote Democrat.
0: That is a powerful ad, and I wish her the best. I'm going to put this ad in show notes, and I'll put a link to her campaign if those of you who want to support her, because she's going to need all the support she can get because she is up against a huge hill. Because this, this, like she said, 53 years Baltimore's been voting for Democrats. And look what it's got them. Look at all the cities around the United States that are ran by Democrats. You know, Trump said it best when he ran in 2016. And Trump inched up the black support. He said, what do you got to lose? You don't. You don't have anything to lose. You look at what's happened to these cities. Why not try a change of leadership? If it doesn't work, she's running for Congress in two years. They kick her out but that is a powerful ad now it you know it was a video ad and what she was doing is she was walking through the streets of baltimore and you saw all these dilapidated houses and um, buildings and such like that so just a powerful powerful ad now I hope the GOP gets behind her. I hope the GOP gets behind Angela King Stanton because these are the faces of the, that the party needs. They need these types of individuals in office if they want to get inroads and change this country forever. And what I mean by that, if you want to, you want to completely decimate the Democrat party, you get the black vote back. That's what has to happen. We don't need to wait 200 years. We need for it to happen now. Not just for the black community, but for America as a whole. The Democrats are bad for our country. The Democrats are bad for the black community. The Democrats need to go. And you know what? Let's, I don't think they need to go away completely. But if they lose power, and they need to lose power badly, it can't be by razor-thin margins. They need to lose a lot of seats in the House, and they need to lose more seats in the Senate. So they realize that they're going to have to change, and they need to jettison this far-left wing of the party that's completely taken over the Democrat Party. Thank you for listening to... Uh, this episode of the PBL podcast. Again, big ask from Woody. Go to our website, pblpodcast.com. Click on our YouTube link and subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I'm going to be putting out unique content on YouTube and shorter uh, segments. So look forward to that. There's some on there already, but subscribe, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You want to make a dog happy, don't you? So again, thanks for listening and have a wonderful, wonderful day.